Welcome to episode 50. Join me, your host, Sarita, and Bima Loxley, who is a clinical sexologist that provides therapies for individuals, couples, and multiple partnered relationships. We discuss the incredible benefits of sex and relationships therapy, from tackling issues of mismatched desire to understanding non-monogamous relationships and what it means to be queer. We'll also be delving into the biggest misconceptions about sex and relationships therapy and how to create a sex and relationship dynamic that serves everyone's needs. Plus, Fema will be offering advice on how to address disparities in sexual desire and arousal and how to create a more transparent sex life. Don't miss this fabulous and informative episode. Hello, Bima. Um, thank you for joining me. Um, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you and delving deeper into the world of what you do. Um, I myself have no idea about <laughs> what a clinical sex, se- I can't even say the word, sexologist does. I mean, I've seen things on TV, like when they have like um, sex therapy sessions and it's very cliche, especially mm. like American shows where it's just like, mm. we'll just talk about tantric sex and yeah. all of that. And, you know, just very cliche stuff. So I guess that's why I wanted to invite you on the podcast today so we can actually understand what clinical sexologists do. Um, So you describe yourself as a queer clinical sexologist. Um, Can you explain what that means to you and your clients? Yeah, so I think I like the term clinical sexologist because it sounds cooler But obviously, essentially, I am just a sex and relationship therapist. Um, So the sexology just encapsulates everything and anything to do with sex, sexuality, but also really importantly, relationships. So to me, that just means I'm a therapist and um, my my niche and my forte is sex and relationships. And for my clients, that can mean anything that they want, right? Um, So everything to do with sex and how one functions in their body to sexuality and gender to relationships. So if you're having conflicts or ruptures or even if you just want to like pre-marriage check-in, for example, like anything you can think of to do with sex and relationships and also like how you relate to yourself and your friends and your colleagues, for example, that also is something that people don't often think about people think about therapy especially like relationships therapy they think about you know the partners that you're with and relationships can be anything that's like friends family and I think it just boils down to the way you communicate with people um but from how you are so it's always easier I think to do that if you know yourself um Mm -hmm. for one thing um but yeah, so tell me about the 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 word queer within that as well, because obviously yeah. you're letting your clients know 100% um, who you are, um, mm. which I think is helpful, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. So could you explain <laughs> <laughs> that bit? Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's helpful. Um, you know, like queerness in itself, like we've, we're taking the word queer back. Um, so it's not a negative thing for me and my queerness relates to my gender. Um, so not my sexuality. So I would see myself as, although I'm non-binary kind of heterosexual, um, although there's, there's other words for it as non-binary people attracted to men. (laughs) It's just very confusing, but yeah, me putting it on my website, on my Instagram and, and everywhere, I think for me helps me attract the right clients, not only for me, but for them. Whereas if I were a a cisgender 
therapist, then I probably would attract more cisgender folk. And it's not that I have anything against cisgender people. Obviously, I love them and I accept all my clients as they are. I just feel like there is a deeper understanding connection with queer folk when you have a therapist who understands a little bit. Like not everything, like my experience will not be exactly the same as someone else's. But to know that someone can come to me and not have to explain the meaning of kitchen table or non-monogamy or, you know, literally anything that's queer related, I think it's quite nice to just sort of talk about your problems in therapy instead of about your queerness alone. I love the fact that you're just upfront about it because, yeah, it's just saving people a lot of time. (laughs) Because, you know, you don't want to... You want you're you're going to therapy for a reason, and me, I'm very impatient. I'm like, quick now, let's do this, let's get in. I'm going to chat for days, let's get all my problems sorted. So yeah, I, I love that. Um, right. so in terms of um, queer gender and queer sexuality, um, mm-hmm. obviously there's a difference there. But yep. what do you think are the biggest misconceptions about the word queer when you know relating to um sexuality or gender or both yeah or both I mean as I said earlier like the word queer like used to be a term that was an insult and so like people older generations often can't even use the word so like someone in my house um used to say why are you saying queer that's like an insult I can't say it and I was like well it's all right for me but then I guess it's all right for them to also not use the word right but Hmm. if it's my word for me I think it's fair enough um but yeah, I th- misconceptions, I think there is probably a lot. Uh, in terms of sexuality, the, the one that came to my head was, and I think actually is really important to talk about, is that mm-hmm. specifically gay men are often like really hyper-sexualized. And mm. this, there's a stereotype around gay men that they need to be super sexual, like, you know, put out on the first day and just... I don't know. It's it's not true. Like, mm. especially from what I see in this world and, and in my work, um, gay men are actually far from that kind of stereotype. And I think it's so important to say that and people to hear it because actually stereotypes like that do a detriment to the person because then they are not authentic in their sex. They don't feel like they can slow down and actually date and like have the sex that they want, you know, um, same with like, um, like lesbians, thinking that, you know, you have to rush into a relationship and settle down straight away. Like, that's the other stereotype. And it's like, well, not all lesbians want to do that because essentially at the end of it, you're a human. So we need to kind of, queer sex is great to learn about and queerness and sexuality and gender is great to learn about. But we also have to like look at the human underneath it and remember that that human's choices are their own and it doesn't matter what they identify as. It's just an identity, but who they are and what they do can be very different And so, you know, we need to sort of take queerness out of a box and just allow it to be a part of the world and humanity that we live in instead of having this binary of man and woman and then queerness as this extra third because we're not, we're not others, we're just... We're just people. I don't know. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> no, it does. And I'm I'm glad you did touch upon like the, the stereotypes because mm. I guess I would be counting myself as older generation. I remember the term queer being yeah. um a derogatory term. Um mm-hmm. so it's 
kind of I don't know when when that word was reclaimed I guess within maybe the like the last 10 years or so um I don't yeah, know maybe I don't know. After I've just, yeah yeah and I think 2000s is probably when lots of things started changing like I was watching mm-hmm. a show um with my um youngest it's probably not very um suitable it's desperate housewives but um for some reason he loves it um <laughs> but there was it seemed really dated there was like like doing these gay jokes like there was a whole thing about um one of the husbands thought this guy was cheating with his wife and then the punchline was but he's gay and it happened Mm. twice and there was something else that happened but I'm glad we were watching it because that allowed me to have these conversations Mm. with him Mm -hmm. and it's really important to have these open conversations and with kids um about stereotypes because I just find it so odd that you can stereotype (laughs) a whole group of people when you know at the end of the day we are all human and yeah you know some stereotypes are true whatever whatever but you can't blanket statement everyone so yeah I'm definitely aware of that whole stereotype of you know gay guys and um being promiscuous and stuff like that but that happens wherever I think it comes down oh, yeah. to the actual individual obviously yeah um, and there's this like harmful obviously currently right now the idea that uh trans women are out to uh be predatory against cis women in toilets like that as another and it's not even a stereotype it's just a fear that has been spread and what that does is it reduces the trans woman to her genitals or her history uh, and not, nothing to do with the fact that she just wants to pee <laughs> like in public Literally. which is hard anyway like there are so many like things that go around that put queer folk in a box and usually it's something that detriments them and and creates fear out of either something that has absolutely zero evidence or just very very small percentages and even then it's like why do we believe the 1% over the 99? Exactly. And I hate that. It's like, obviously, we can't get away from um, the, the really kind of anti-trans things mm. that are going on in the media. And obviously, like you said, um, the bathroom thing. And it's like, but we've had unisex toilets for years. But it's not like we're ever going in. And it's always private. So mm. I just hate the fact that I guess some people use stereotypes or as you yeah. said, that's not a stereotype, but um, it's it's essentially fear mongering and using that to give a reason for this animosity. Because at the end of the day, I don't think what anyone else does should affect you, unless obviously someone is being harmful, but literally just let people live their lives. It's just... Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. It goes beyond fear-mongering. It's also scaremongering out of mm. nothing as well, which I think is important, like, to sort of notice the difference. There's a nuance between the two, like, sort of phrases, right? But mm. you fear something that is really real, whereas you're scaring someone that isn't real. Like, that's really important to notice. True. Absolutely. Thank you. Oh my God, I'm blown, mind blown already. (laughs) 
this um, was told by the person who doesn't like the word queer in my family so they oh <laughs> what do you think are the most important topics to discuss when it comes to um sexuality in the queer community hmm like the first thing that comes to my mind is <clears throat> safety um not that queer folk aren't safe but like let's say we take sex education when we were kids and all we learn is how to put a condom on and how not to have a baby then we ignore like the idea of queer sex and when I mean say queer sex all I mean is just like sex because queer sex should be sex in that it's not just penis and vagina it's it's not just like uh, ending in an orgasm so we need to think about queer sexuality just like we think about everyone's sexuality but by doing that we need to broaden the horizon actually learn from queer folk cis people need to learn cis het people need to learn from queer folk of how sex can be so much more and so that looks more than you know the safety I'm thinking about is like we talk about catching STDs or STIs sorry change that catching STIs just through penetration alone when actually oral or even just grinding up against each other can you can catch HPV or um, herpes or anything and like that's the safety I think everyone needs to learn is that the more we do it the more likely we're at risk and to also then from that remove the stigma of the risk because most people are going to get some form of herpes in their life and it's very unavoidable and you will probably potentially not show symptoms for the first five years you have it and then bam it'll come up so five years oh hell yeah or longer (laughs) wow yeah so you don't know where you got it from basically Mm. wow and it's i just (laughs) i don't Mm. know i just find it just really mind-blowing like the whole concept um of sex education like Mm. you said it's sex but it's like you have sex to have a baby. Here's how to avoid how to have a baby. But as you mm. said, it's so much more than that. The, the, everyone has sex, not just to have a child. You know, that, yeah. I don't know. I'd love to know what percent of people potentially have sex to have a child. And I bet you it's really low <laughs> if you take the whole world. You know, um, yeah. But yeah, in terms of school and education, um, I know that they did make... Um, um they they have introduced lgbtq <laughs> sex education but i think it's down to the, the discretion of either the school or the teacher of how it's taught yeah. so even then you might not even be getting the the information that you should be getting it could just mm-hmm. be a case of acknowledging you know um there's more partners than just male and female and that's it and it's like okay what about the kids that are sitting there that don't relate to that what do they do where do they go to learn about sex education for them is is there such a place like no uh (laughs) and also what happens in schools is that even if they do talk about uh like diversity it's within one lesson, whereas actually diversity should just be put throughout the whole curriculum, you know, like it's not just a day you learn about things. And like, that's how 
luckily in my therapy course, we learned about diversity throughout the whole two years, right? Whereas instead of just leaving it for one day, but yeah, education needs to be like encompassing all types of diversity. And that's just not even sex and gender, right? That's just like where people come from, culture, race, like class, everything needs to be. But what I'm thinking is where people go is porn. Um, and they talk amongst their friends and they learn from porn is great. I, I don't dislike porn. I mean, ethical porn would be best, but porn is fine. But to use it as sex education, that is not fine. So of course, when we have porn that's based upon the male gaze and it is about just ramming some poor lady, like then of course <laughs> it's not going to be the best education. But like parents need to step up and learn. Like parents need to go and do their own classes. You need to like follow the correct people on Instagram and you know, even watch the TV show Sex Education on Netflix, like anything could be better than what it's currently is. And I know it's changing. I know schools are changing, but like they need to hurry up about that. Absolutely. And there's just so much, there is so much to learn. And you you just need to educate your kids because like, Mm. just for me, I've got three boys. So Mm. I know I'm not going to say what I'm going to say. But <laughs> I think my problem with porn is the fact that some people do use that as a realistic guide. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that's not realistic. And then you mm-hmm. can go through a whole deep tunnel of things that aren't, um, aren't positive. So there's obviously, um, I've heard stories um, about one website where there's been rep- um, revenge porn uploaded yeah. or underage girls, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So like you said, if there were ethical kind of um, porn websites, mm-hmm. um, but I guess just to take it with a pinch of salt, because that isn't education. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. you know, like you said, it's entertainment. Realistically. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah, yeah. And I just wish that a lot of people did speak to their children, so that wasn't the first place that um, yeah. their kids went to to learn about this stuff. Yeah. 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 It's sad, but it's true, so we need to yeah. get around it. And it always starts from the seed, right? It's, you know, men, women, whoever it is who harm and abuse when they're older, there's probably something down in the past that wasn't attended to correctly. And I'm not... Uh, saying that they're not at fault for their choices that they make in their life but like if imagine like the the amount of harm that could be reduced by just educating properly at wwrdigital.com you'll find the women who rebrand podcast and bonus content to accompany each episode plus between episodes and season breaks you'll get access to informative articles and personal stories about health and wellness relationships and careers Take a journey with us to become your most authentic self because you matter. Join our online community on Instagram and TikTok at WWR Digital. So what inspired you to pursue a career in clinical sexology? Yeah, I um, well, I was just like going about my day very boringly, like <laughs> at work in London, um, not doing anything that I wanted to do. And then I was just listening to a podcast uh, about sex. Yeah. And it just, it was like one of those podcasts, it was called Sex with Emily. She's still going on. And I was like, okay, if she can talk about sex all day, every day, surely I could do that in some form. And then I went traveling and then I started Googling and I found like the course and I was like, therapy seemed 
at the time the right fit. And I didn't actually know if I'd be a good therapist because my perception of therapists were very different to how I am as a therapist. So I was like, mm. I can't just be a blank slate. I can't just sit there quietly and say absolutely nothing and and just let the client do the work. Like that's not me. But then sex therapy is actually very directive. And so the more I found out about it, the more I did practice and obviously now I'm in the job, it's like the perfect place for me. Um, and I was watching season three of Couples Therapy last night and I was like, holy shit, I do that. Like she does <laughs> what I do and she's on the other end of the planet and, and it's, she's doing amazing stuff. So yeah, it's, it's just sort of naturally fit. And then when I look back into my history of like my promiscuity and how I was with my friends and advice I gave, like I was like, oh, like maybe this has always been a part of me, like that confidence to talk about things and help people and really like talk about the taboo stuff and not give a not gonna swear but you know <laughs> you can if you want I just beep it out that's fine Ah, <laughs> oh, that's amazing so when you went away did you kind of have mm. that moment where you just kind of found yourself and that had that time to reflect about things yeah that's so cliche but it's so true I know I went there for six months and I was living like such a good life there and it just gave me the time to like look into things and like you know you have ADHD with me too and that idea to like get the motivation to start something I think traveling and having nothing to do and just enjoying life and nature um pushed me to find the thing and then I was starting like the next year so yeah that's that's very cliche but it actually it worked (laughs) I found myself (laughs) I mean some cliches are good I'm I'm like um yeah I like cliches when they work out and you're like you're so textbook but I love it (laughs) therapists are so textbook that's the problem (laughs) like we are our clients like we all have problems I think it would be silly to say that we don't and that's why we're probably are good as therapists because we actually have the empathy and understanding that life is a bit difficult yeah and it definitely helps like I said when you um there's that relatability but not just your client relating to you but you relating to your client because you know um you kind of have the same interest but you know about it and Mm -hmm. it's from experience as well and like you said Mm -hmm. speaking to your friends and just being very candid and open about Mm -hmm. sex which is quite difficult for some people because you know it's like sex is very taboo like Mm. which is again a bit I don't use the word mad it's just a bit it's it's a bit peculiar yeah when you think about it it's like okay so it's actually quite natural like Mm -hmm. a lot of people have sex obviously there are people that don't have sex um what I can't remember the term Asexuals. asexuals yeah um, but yeah, like we just need to start having more conversations, which is again yeah, why you're here so. to I'm just going off a tangent again. No, <laughs> um, so okay, let's get down to actual um, sex therapy. Yeah, what would you say is the most important benefit of sex and relationship therapy? There's so many. Oh. <laughs> Pick your favourite. And that's for everyone. When I, I'm, I'm going to say, like, you know, I have got specific questions, but I'm talking about humans. Yeah. 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 I mean, it goes back to what you said earlier about knowing yourself, right? And so even if I have two people in front of me, I always make sure that they concentrate on themselves as individuals. 
And that doesn't mean, you know, fully embracing and loving yourself because it's very hard to do that. But if we work on the idea of like self-neutrality and self-acceptance and understanding of who we are, then only can we express that with our partner or whoever we're going to have sex with or not, right? So I think sex therapy, the therapy in itself and the idea of being able to soundboard of someone and actually being validated, affirmed, listened to, that's not me even doing anything. That's just me sitting there and listening. Does a world of change for people, which is like therapy 101, listen, validate, mirror them, empathize. And it actually really works for someone to just say, hey, I've got this problem or am I normal? And I'm like, hell yeah, you are. And it's really common too. Um, I think that's really important. (laughs) But like to learn yourself, even if it's just like 5% more than you know, is for you it's not for anyone else and you've I think working I think the word I most use in therapy or the words are communication um, and authenticity so it's about finding who you are whether that through porn or education or online or talking to someone and then communicating who you are so that they understand um, who they're working with who they're playing with but you don't have to like be this like be all a knowledgeable person who knows every single button to push to like for pleasure and and not pleasure right like it's more just saying am I a person who's learning about myself exploring myself giving myself what we need and pleasure is so important because actually orgasming or just even touching yourself can release endorphins oxytocin serotonin all these good feelings like why wouldn't we want more of that healthier Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, please. And I think in terms of therapy, I think it's really important that people understand that when you go to therapy, you're not just going to get fixed. There's no special like Mm -hmm. click, you're fixed, go on your way, because you have to be, like you said, authentic as well and honest, because there's no point of going to therapy and just like sitting there and Mm -hmm. not saying how you feel and just saying what you think the therapist wants to hear it's your time to you know um utilize the expertise and just be completely 100 percent honest yeah I agree it's such a waste of time and money and it's not a waste of my time you know in my books will thank you no matter what but like (laughs) it's for you right and therapy is expensive like you thankfully you can find cheaper therapy or free therapy even I offer concession rates um to a limit of number of people a week but yeah like only comes therapy when you're ready and you're able to do it and if you're going to be you know I have people who don't tap into things and there's very good reason and working with the resistance and working with why people can't open up is really useful for sure so some people might go five sessions with not actually saying anything but actually what's happening underneath is them getting the comfort the rapport between them and myself but eventually there will be this kind of moment where I might be like, okay, so what is it that you want? Like what's changing? If anything's changing. One thing I will say is my supervisor will always just say, if they're stuck, stay stuck with them because I can't fix them. Right. Ah. So even if they are talking and, and not being honest and truthful, there is that element of like, well, maybe something's happening underneath. But of course, I will still challenge them. Like there's a very fine nuance line between me recognizing that they're not in their truth versus it being useful for them to like do the work underneath of not telling the truth. But yeah, hell, if you're a year in and they're all they're still lying and 
I haven't seen that. Like I <laughs> think clients are quite authentic with me, but I think that's because I create a space where it feels comfortable to be authentic. Um, so again, it goes back to your point at the start of find the right therapist for you. Yeah. And I think in terms of going and um, to a sex therapist or mm. clinical sexologist, mm. I think you're going to have to be a bit open um, to go to someone <laughs> yeah. like that. Because what is the, you know, you can't, I mean, unless you are complete on the opposite end of the scale and just don't know anything and just are really embarrassed by using the word sex, mm-hmm. that's going to be a problem. Um but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm assuming that most people are ready. But also, in terms of therapy in general, I always find that, you know, you have to be ready to be on that path. Yeah. Because like you said, you can guide people, but you have to actually move forward. And if you're not able to do that, or you can't do that, um, you know, yeah. you just need to do the work and, I don't know, just be ready when you are in your own time. Yeah, I agree. Like, and some people, you know, I'll, I'll have clients who tell me like, you know, I've had two therapists before this and nothing's worked and now something's working. I'm like, it's not me. It's probably you in the stage you are in your life. Like, were you really ready? Can you say that you were ready to tap into some deeply untapped into like trauma, for example, like maybe you weren't. So it's, it's sort of having that kindness to yourself of maybe you didn't change in the past and you're changing now, but like, at least you're changing now. And I think it's, you know, I would, there, it would be so unethical of me to not say, hey, do you need a different therapist? Or maybe this isn't sex therapy. Maybe this is something else. Like, I'm not there to just like gain someone's money and time. Like, I, I would pass them on to someone else if I felt, felt necessary. And I think every ther- therapist should do that and like hold their ego and look at their books and be like, fine, I can let this one go because I'm at service of them. And I think therapists need to know, not therapists, clients need to know that, like, really, like, understand that. Mm-hmm. Relationship therapy and sex therapy. I, yeah. I immediately think of couples coming to you or someone that is in a relationship and um, might want to learn more. But do you have clients that are completely single um, that want to connect with themselves? Mm-hmm. and learn more yeah. about themselves sexually yeah that's the majority of my clients okay individuals whether they're completely single not always but yeah like you know I'll have people come to me and they may be in a relationship but they're talking about themselves nonetheless because it's not the relationship that's the problem it's maybe their history or like how they feel about themselves and their body or their sexuality obviously people come to me with their gender issues as well and like want to just discuss who they are so, yeah, I would say, and I, I think most relationship therapists would say this, that the majority that they see are individuals, unless they like only choose couples to come with them, um, which is fair enough. You charge more for couples, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think it's so useful to help an individual. There is a line like where an individual might come in and they talk about their partner the whole time, then I'm sort of kind of trying to consider, well, is it actually worth bringing the partner in? Because then you're just... Like you're just doing one side of the work and that's just not fair. So mm. there will be people like that, but it's it's really up to them, right? Like I can't tell them what kind of therapy to do. I could suggest and like give my feedback of how I'm feeling about each session, but if it's their choice, isn't it? Yeah, true. Do you find that um, some clients are a bit 
not nervous, but going back to that whole kind of sex taboo, they don't know how to discuss things openly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think nervous is the main word I get with people start therapy. And then Mm. at the end of the session, they always say they're less nervous. So that's always good. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like in my mind, I can so easily talk about it. I mean, it's hard to talk about it in front of my mom, for example, but I think that's just (laughs) parents. (laughs) Like I have to remind myself that when people come to me, they're probably not on my level. And I have to like, kind of like dumb down my brain, not for them, but for me. And just remember like, oh wait, people still think sex is taboo and metaphors will come in analogies like sex won't, the word won't even be said or like orgasm won't be said or, you know, like, all of these words and I'll throw the word in I'll be like yeah you're talking about orgasm right (laughs) but yeah like I've completely forgotten your question now no it was just about um just just the the nervousness around using the word sex and you know just coming to and just being open and frank yes so I'm I'm very frank and I will tell that in my consultation um I'm currently not like in my house but when I was in my like last office I had little like clitorises hanging around like you know just all of it so I really like to sort of create a space visually that they can see that I'm open and okay but I think we have to tread carefully then and not me like also bombard them with my language and work with their language as well so they feel like I'm not pulling them like too quickly like Mm. I always think of like uh not clients, but like just people in general, there's like like teeny tiny hamsters. When you get a new hamster, you have to sort of leave it in its cage for like a couple of days and then like not poke your fingers in. And you have to like do that with humans as well so that they feel comfortable. But it's really hard because then you have to look at like, why? Why are they nervous talking about sex? Actually, maybe it's not about changing their language. It's actually looking into like, where's the resistance? Where's it come from? Is it the education, culture, religion, like history, trauma? That's really good information to learn wow and there can be so many things that can affect that wow I didn't even think of that I was I was just thinking you know um how you grew up and your relationship with your parents but like you said culture even where you live or anything who you live with there's so many things that you have to unpick yep wow again I'm mind blown sorry um it's funny because (laughs) I'm I I love artwork and there's so many things that um you can get like you said you've got vaginas on the wall and stuff like that I've got like a, a random plant pot and it's got um breasts on it and it's all mm. like got snakes and stuff I'm really into that kind of thing and I've got artwork um just kind of celebrating the female form yeah. and I kind of just to me that's normal but then when people come around like in-laws or my kids friends yeah. because this stuff is in the sitting room it's not until they leave I'm like Ah, wonder if I yeah. made them uncomfortable. Well, I wonder if that was inappropriate. And I'm like, whatever, man, I like it. I'm going to keep it up. I don't care. And it's never caused any problems. But I'm sure it does start conversations when they leave my house. But yeah, yeah. you just just you just got to normalize these things. And like exactly. you know, kids know about different body types and stuff. And it's not obviously I haven't got porn on my wall. Um, but yeah, it's just yeah. um. But that's like, if you had just like a naked lady on your wall, if you see that as art, but someone sexualizes it, that's that someone's problem. Right. So the sex educator in me wants to say, 
because you said vagina on my wall and I want to change it to vulva because <sighs> language matters. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> I've seen quite um, a few plant pots of vulvas on them too. And I'm like, I do like them. I've got space in my office. Um, my sister's going to crochet me a vulva puppet oh, soon. So oh my gosh. <laughs> Amazing. That would actually... <laughs> Sorry, I'm like just getting in hysterics thinking about that um, puppet talking. Um, <laughs> so um, what advice would you give to individuals who are struggling with their own sexuality, um, identity and self-esteem? Because obviously I'm assuming like people that are a bit nervous, some of them are kind of just struggling within themselves to be com- um, confident. Yeah, and, and a lot of that comes from comparing themselves to others, right? Or mm. a very typical one is like one's parents will act in a way like that you mirror. So children children are never born with this discomfort, this lack of confidence. Like no baby is born this way. We learn that from our caregivers and who we grow up with or what we don't grow up with. So silence, um, never talking about sex can be just as equally difficult than talking about sex in such a uh, a harmful way of like, never do this, it's going to hurt, it's for the man only, like all of these things. So I would say a lot of the work is to unlearn what you've learned as a kid and recognise that you're an adult now and you can make your own decisions and you can do what you want. But like confidence is such a hard one because confidence is so ingrained that even if you help your friends with their confidence or you know rationally that like there's nothing to be afraid of or ashamed of if it's core inside you like your inner child is crying and afraid like that is that's really hard work so it's it's about that is I would say really good therapy work to tap into deeply but a lot of it is about like if you've got this kind of idea in your head oh I'm not good at this or this is weird or not normal I would challenge that voice I would find the compassion and look for ways where you feel okay community is a massive thing right if you're surrounded by people who are telling you no then find the people who say yes right so there's so many ways to work with it there's and obviously I'm going to be like go to therapy (laughs) but you could just like google this stuff or read a book find someone who's gone through a very similar experience to you unfollow like diet culture problematic pages for example like stop surrounding yourself with the thing that causes that voice to keep saying negative things about you and know that you don't have to love yourself but you have to find your authenticity and accept yourself for who you are and if you're queer and weird perfect so am I (laughs) so the weirdos together I love the fact that you've said that because the last podcast I guess I had completely unrelated um topic which talked about um finding her community the weird ones I'm like hey I can show my tattoo got stay weird written on me I'm like hey all the weirdos together I love it um in terms of what you were saying about you know the word normal which is something I usually hate but Mm. you know it, it we all understand that concept because I don't believe that anything is actually normal there's no such thing as normal um but if you're in a relationship and you have certain desires and mm-hmm. you know you want to have you want to do those desires with your partner but your partner's perhaps using the word you know that's not normal mm-hmm. or i'm not particularly interested in that because it's not what everyone else does how yeah. would you um 
how would you address that within therapy yeah well first of all I would I would say well what's your normal because I think that's a little bit different to like a social constructionist idea um again it comes down to challenging society and, and where our beliefs come from which takes a lot of work going back into our histories and like finding new evidence of why what we want or desire or need in sex is okay and it doesn't matter if it's normal right like if you take something kinky like I need to be not me personally but like need to be tied up which is actually quite a very really common thing and actually probably is quite normal (laughs) (laughs) um it's about taking yourself out of like the uh, the context of society and looking at the two individuals so whether I was working with the couple together or an individual talking about their partner not accepting them for who they are first of all I'd be like okay why are you with that partner like if they don't accept you for who they are like do they accept you in other aspects of your life like where's the line that are you compromising so much that you snap and you become very inauthentic but like people embracing their their quirks their kinks is about again finding people who are very similar to you and recognizing that you are not alone in this I think therapy helps that because obviously I would affirm them like in the most randomest things and acts that you would could think of I'm very affirming and I nothing has shocked me yet um so finding a therapist who is affirming and doesn't like want to convert you and degrade you is is, is really harmful and report them um mm-hmm. but yeah to, when talking to a partner it's saying okay but this makes me feel good and we maybe don't have to do it all of the time but maybe it wants a month we could just schedule in a time where we can actually explore this. Maybe we need to talk about it first and you need to understand what is it about this thing that I like that makes me feel so good. And if I don't do it, this is how I feel. Like, again, tap into the humanity underneath it. So it might be like water sports. So yeah, I want to pee on you. Okay, that might sound so weird from the outset, but actually if you talk about it and then say, well, what if we do it in the bath? And what if I shower you afterwards? And what a, <clears throat> sorry what if I avoid your face and like there are so many ways you can talk about things and the other person doesn't have to find it sexy it could be a form of maintenance sex where the other person's really into it but the other person's doing it one because they consent but two because they know it brings the other partner joy like isn't that the point of partnership of wanting to be a team and helping the other one out and if you don't want to do that it comes back to the question of like you know is that a make or break kind of situation? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Mm. And there was a key phrase that you just said there. Yeah, and I'm like, idea. what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I have to because the ADHD, it'll send it to a box down there. And I'm thinking about things like red pens and stuff like that. Um, maintenance sex. Yeah. Can you explain? Yeah, I just did a post about it. And people absolutely <sighs> love that phrase. It's so like... Consent is super important with maintenance mm-hmm. sex, right? So you always, even if you don't feel like it, you're not aroused or desirous, you still have to consent and say yes. And that this kind of consent is saying, I want to give you something even though I don't necessarily enjoy it or find pleasure from it. So asexual people can have sex, right? And they will have sex because it's it's a form of their relationship. If they want to choose to help their partner out in that way and it's important enough to maintain the relationship, Not all asexual folk will do that. I'm just saying that's an example. So maintenance sex is, let's give a very typical example of um, you've got a man and a woman 
and the man is super horny and the woman is super tired and he's like but I just really want like a wank like can you not just well I want to have sex like I want to have full-blown sex with you and the woman's like I don't want to do that but I will wank you off uh, or watch you while you wank off and kiss you at the same time and she's totally not into it but she's like okay well it's like I'm just like cooking him some cookies because like he enjoys it and I'm, I'm fine with that like that's maintenance sex you're just keeping it up and you don't do it all the time because then obviously it becomes very boring and it's not uh, a, a nice dance of pleasure and back and forth but maintenance sex could happen like if you want to have your desires fulfilled and your partner just isn't quite into it right now and you know that the rest of the week's super busy and you want to get that pleasure and you you could do it on your own for sure like blue balls don't exist but Mm -hmm. the partner just wants to like be willing then sure why not like everyone should do or probably does do it and they don't talk about it does that make sense yeah no it does and it's like just putting not a label but Mm. having a term for it makes it make sense if that yes (laughs) and you mustn't abuse it as well right so yeah you you mustn't say fine I'll just like always do that because then that's just like well what are you getting out of it yeah yeah it needs to be obviously um reciprocal but there are instances where you might be part of all forms of sex like maintenance sex sex play foreplay erotica talk you know all kinds of forms of play and maintenance sex is just one part of them see one episode is not enough just like diversity (laughs) talks one lesson is not enough oh but yeah this is why you have instagram and teaching us all on there so that's (laughs) that's amazing and something i wanted to discuss that i guess I've never really um, known about. So I'm I'm quite open and I love watching um, documentaries. So I've watched things um, about um, people working in the sex industry, which I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like um, just, you can probably imagine the things that yeah. I've watched on BBC yeah, Three, sure. all of those, love it. But something that people rarely um, discuss are like um, non- monogamous relationship could you actually explain the different types of relationships that you work with so couples multiple couples and non-monogamous I don't know if I explained that properly but basically um, what's the difference between multiple and non-monogamous so I offer not multiple in the sense that if you have a thruple or more people who are in a relationship and who are having problems and all want to come into the room, then I welcome that. Um, I'm also studying a master's um, currently that will enable me to do like full on group work and full on family work. So even more people in the room. So the actually, I would say the majority of couples that come into my space are non-monogamous in some form or other, whether that's non-monogamy um, open relationships, sexual, sexual, sexually open or polyamorous, you know, there's, there's many um, relationship styles under the umbrella of non-monogamy and I couldn't name them all. <laughs> <laughs> there's but, so many, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's so common. Like, and if I see it, like, literally every single day, it just, it shocks me, like, it's still, like, this mononormativity, this idea that monogamy is the norm in our society. It's just so shocking, because it's not in other societies. I know that. Um, but, yeah, like, I would have people 
who are non-monogamous come to me. But the thing is, they hardly talk about non-monogamy. Just like Mm. someone who is gay or someone who is trans comes to me for help. A lot of the time, it's not about their identity that's the problem. So again, Mm. the queerness, the difference isn't the problem. It's just who they are. And then the problem is anything the human is bringing to therapy. Like non-monogamous folk have problems in their relationship, their primary relationship, secondary, just like monogamous folk. And so it's not looking at like how their relationship style is the problem. It's looking at how they communicate and how they just relate to each other. And then if there is a third who would want to come in or um, another couple, if they're like, who knows what it is, like any scenario, like people can come in so long as they're contracting and they're consenting to therapy and we're all on the same table, page table, you know, (laughs) (laughs) then yeah, I offer that. Wow. I just can't imagine like one-to-one is enough Mm. for me, but then (laughs) having, like you said, a thruple and how, how do they all... How do you make sure that everyone is heard? Yeah. Yeah, it is hard, obviously. Do you have longer sessions the, the more people that are involved? No, no, the sessions no. are the same length. Obviously, some couples I have seen for like double time. Um, so sessions often are 50 minutes, but I can offer an hour and a half if they want. Um, but actually, it's such a long time, right? So yeah. And if you're willing to come to therapy every week, then why spend so much more longer on it? Like 50 minutes usually is enough. And if they go over, it's not because there's more of them. It's just because they go over and they don't know their boundaries, right? And (laughs) I have to maintain that. So it is hard. And I would say here it's about equity instead of equality. So it's not like all three are going to get the same amount of space. It's whoever needs that space in that moment. And I contract that in at the beginning, like, someone might be bringing like their history and we need to listen to it more so than maybe the other. And usually everyone's fine with that. Like, um, but if someone feels unheard, then I would tap into that and be like, okay, so let's hear you then like, and, and face it. But a lot of clients may not even say that. Um, and they might just sort of sit through therapy and never feel heard and never talk to me about it or their partners about it. And some clients graciously tell me and they're like I think you didn't hear me and I'll be like cool I'll put my hands up like how can we change this and that's the point right like I'm I'm at fault too I'm human and I can't always have all my three eyes in different separate ways so it's a challenge but it's it's a welcome challenge uh, for sure which makes sense because I was just thinking I think I was thinking of three me sitting in a room with the exact same problems which isn't gonna (laughs) be realistic so I guess that someone might have more things to say at that time, like you said, and, you know, there's going to be that, I guess, so way, the way I look at relationships, like people fit in puzzles, you, you're not going to be carbon copies of each other. So, mm-hmm. you know, someone might have something to say while someone might be a bit more quiet. But at the end of the day, I guess they're all just there to learn how to communicate and learn about each other mm-hmm. and grow within that relationship. So, yeah, that makes sense. If someone's always talking, I would be like, is this what I, if I were a fly on the wall in your house, would this be the case? Like, I might challenge it, right? Like, Hmm. and some people are very fine with not talking a lot and it's totally okay, but it's just, it's making sure that other person feels okay. But also therapy isn't just like a one done fix. So if one person is talking more or all the time in therapy, then I'd be like, okay, well, let's save that then for next session because 
therapy spreads out. And although it's really hard to know that we have to slow down and trust in the process that therapy is prolonged over more than one session, you don't have to say everything all at once. Then I just think it's important to remember that it's like not quick fix, as you said. Mm, mm. Would you, um, so if someone wanted to um, explore having multiple partners, mm. but they were a bit worried about how to approach that discussion with their partner, would you be able to advise them about what to do? Or would they would they even come to you with that kind of issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. for sure. Because um, it's relationships, isn't it? Um, yeah, so if an individual came, you know, it's baby steps always, right, with non-monogamy. Because when you jump into non-monogamy with the, for the wrong reasons, then it's going to end up someone's going to get hurt. But it's the same with monogamy, right? If you jump into a relationship for the wrong reasons, then you're going to get hurt. So I would slow them down and say, okay, well, let's discuss this. Discuss the reasons why you need to open up, why you want to open up, what you're going to get from it. You know, it's it's never as simple as that. We often also talk about the the person in general and how their relationship is like do you have problems that you need to do to sort with first like couples come to me and they're talking about non-monogamy or wanting it then I'm like okay well you grounded in this relationship because if you're not then you're going to start flying away and getting caught up in like the newness of non-monogamy so it's really important to slow things down and say we'll get there but we need to get there on everyone's pace and that's not me wanting to slow them down. It's it's usually because they need to. Um, and why rush something? That could be a really good thing, right? Um, but then, yeah, it would then go through what are the boundaries? Some people like to call it their playbook, right? Their non-monogamy playbook of the boundaries and the rules. Some people don't like the word rules of what that means to be non-monogamous. Like, are you going to have a hierarchy? Are you not? Like, are you going to meet them? How much information do you want to know? What kind of acts do you want to do or don't do? Is it love? Is it sex? Like, so many variables, which is sounds like a lot, but when you have the person in front of you, you just work with them and they will bring all the information. And I will just be like, okay, well, this here's it clearer. It's all a mess and jumble in your mind. I'll clarify it for you, pass it back, and you can then tell your partner. <laughs> Oh, amazing. And it's true that, like, I don't know, for me, I I would say that multiple partners is probably not as crazy or wild, sorry, as mm-hmm. a lot of people think, because there's a lot of cultures that have, like, multiple wives um, mm-hmm. and religions that have that written in their... Um, their yeah, the scriptures and stuff like that. And I think when people, I don't know, for me, there's like misconceptions around that. You you think, oh, you're yeah. just curving your cake and eating it too. And, yeah. you know, the, the wives possibly don't have any say and there must be jealousy going on in there. Um, what are the kind of biggest misconceptions that, that you've heard? Yeah, the greed one is a big one, I think. Just like we hear about bisexual folk, they're just greedy, uh. right? Always, always. <laughs> there is. Jealousy exists and will always exist because it is simply another human emotion, like on the smorgasbord of emotions that we have. It's how we navigate jealousy that is the important thing and not let, our, let it rule us. And actually it can be a really beautiful thing. Um, Esther Perel wrote a book, um, 
the state of affairs and it has a whole chapter on jealousy and it's really good um but yeah misconceptions yeah greed um yeah i think greed is the biggest one there's probably this idea of like how can maybe there's this idea that like there is this like man controlling all these women underneath and so obviously you can get that for sure and it happens but sometimes the women choose to be non-monogamous right and it's all a lot about gender here is like we're we're sexualizing the woman and when actually it's the woman's choices and then it's the man that's like equally along the ride so i i think there's probably these misconceptions about control and who wants it or if there are problems in the relationship you're going to open up yes that also happens but a successful non-monogamous relationship that doesn't happen because actually you're communicating with every single one in the same way and you've actually perfected communication. We could learn from non-monogamous folk about how to relate because they do it so much more better, I think, and more consistently and practiced. So, yeah, but I'm not non-monogamous, but I, I really love my clients who are because I learn a lot from them. I was going to say, I bet there is so much to learn because... You have to be good at communication mm. if you're communicating with more than one person. Like, I find mm. it hard enough to understand and know my one partner who I've been in a relationship for donkey's years. And I'm like, wait, so I would have to have this same level of understanding with someone else as well, which you just must have to be really intelligent, <laughs> surely. Emotionally intelligent, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. Emotionally intelligent. Wow. Um I can do it. I haven't got the time of day for myself sometimes. So <laughs> No, I'm 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 quite needy and I like attention and I like to do stuff. Oh, so maybe I maybe I do it depends mm-hmm. how much time they've got. Maybe But yeah, yeah, I, I know what you think. And it's definitely something that um we should know more about because like I said, there's so many people that I know who knows someone who lives somewhere else and that person has more than three wives. And it's like, okay, but they just don't talk about it. But I'm like, but that's so normal to them. Like, we should just yeah. ah, just be more open about everything. What would be the advantages of being more transparent about sex and just laying it out and talking about it and mm. normalizing it? Being more it? transparent sets you less up for failure because if you're going about sex not really communicating what you want then you're probably not likely going to get what you want so I would say that because obviously sex is about pleasure and if it's feeling of course it's going to feel awkward and funny and everyone farts and laughs and stuff but if you're not talking about it I guess the idea I would say sometimes not for everyone but like if you can't talk about sex, which is a really vulnerable thing, how are you having sex and like getting naked with someone? Like it, it kind of blows my mind. And I, I think the reason we can do that is because sex becomes this, uh, this very scripted one movement, one goal thing that you can just follow by closing your eyes and just saying, yeah, I'm going to do it. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. But actually sex isn't just that one thing. I'm talking about penis and vagina sex <laughs> that ends in like male orgasm. It's, it's more. So 
why wouldn't you be transparent? But I guess to be transparent, you need to be vulnerable. And to be vulnerable, you need to have trust and safety and to it to be with someone that you feel that. And that could even be in casual sex. You can still feel trust and safety with casual sex. You just have to talk about it. And actually, more so in casual sex, talk about it. Because who are you there to please? Like, if you're going to want to have sex that night and it's with a random stranger, then it's like, well, why not tell them exactly what you want? Otherwise, you're just going to be disappointed or you have this idea that they need to read your mind or know exactly where to touch you. But that's not their responsibility. It's yours. Absolutely. I've been so blown away this episode and I could go on for even longer. But um, yeah, the hour's gone so quickly. Um, Thank you so much, Bima. I have learned a lot. And now I'm like... Let me take my notes, yeah, and let's go have a conversation with my other half. Because I'm like, oh, multiple partners, eh? Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, we've spoken about Instagram, so we know you're on Instagram. But how can mm. our lovely audience connect with you and possibly book a session? Um, let yeah. us know social media handles and stuff. Yeah, so my Instagram is Loxley Sexology. And my website is bemaloxley.com, which is just my name. And on there is everything you need to know. I think I have a pretty good, decent website with quite enough information of like what I do, what I offer, how much it costs. Um, There are also helplines on there for people who need them. Um, And you can also send me an inquiry. You can book a consultation. Uh, Don't DM me into my Instagram. I'll ignore it because that's not my business place. Uh, This is a place that I just offer free sex education. I also um, create, a, I'm creating this group for queer practitioners, which says for queer folk only. Um, it's on my website called, calling, called Queering Our Practice, where queer practitioners, so sex workers, doms, sex therapists, sexologists, therapists can have a space to talk about work, life, queerness. And so I think that's what I want to plug is because it's a really new thing that we're creating and other therapists of mine about how to create community in the kind of workspace. That That is, no, that's incredible. Because all the therapists and stuff I've spoken to, they've all said, you know, we need a place to decompress. We need a place to talk. Mm -hmm. And some of them have their own therapists. But as you said, Mm therapy is expensive. So if there was this community thing, especially like you Mm -hmm. said, queer um, folk getting together to discuss these things and just... um, I guess it's an opportunity to learn more as well. Mm, from each right? other. Yeah. yeah, amazing. Thank you so much, Bima. You have been a fantastic yeah. guest. So thank you so much for um, coming on and sharing your story yeah. and your wisdom. Thank you for having me. No, I love talking about this stuff. I could do it all day. So yeah, <laughs> not surprised we went over. <laughs> thank you. Take care. Bye. You too enjoyed this episode of women who rebrand be sure to subscribe and leave a rating to keep up with upcoming episodes join our online community on instagram and tiktok at wwr digital and stay tuned for our next episode featuring another fantastic guest ready to discuss the most insightful topics thanks for listening